everybody. Welcome to episode 114 of Vague Zone. I am Daniel. I'm Thomas. And today we are discussing Shinya Tsukamoto's Tetsuo the Iron Man from 1989. Uh, before we get into the conversation, Thomas, will you read for us the IMDb synopsis? Sure. Tetsuo the Iron Man. A businessman accidentally kills the metal fetishist who gets his revenge by slowly turning the man into a grotesque hybrid of flesh and rusty metal. I love that the metal fetishist is all capitalized. Like, yeah, yeah, that's his title. Yeah, Um. that's great. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so we are starting off with a new theme. We are moving on to man versus machine. And so when we were discussing... Uh, Scooby-Doo, this, the last episode, and we picked this scene. We both agreed on this movie simultaneously. It's like yeah. a psychic link. We both mm-hmm. thought of this movie first. So I guess I'll ask you, uh, what is your history with Tetsuo the Iron Man? Uh, my history is, um, I think it was, so in high school, back during the Netflix actually sent you, sent you a DVDs uh, era. Oh, wow. I uh my sister and I were on the hunt for like the most disturbing movie ever made. Yes. And um, in my research, uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man is something I saw on some message boards. Um, I remember reading a description of it as having a, a man killing a woman with his drill penis. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I have to see that. <laughs> like, that's a movie I have to see. Um, so yeah, I remember renting it. <laughs> yeah, I was probably like 16 or something. And... I this is the third time I've seen this movie um and I don't there's so much of it I don't remember (laughs) yeah yeah. uh there's already so much I've forgotten since last night when I watched it um and I feel like part of the problem is that it is it's black and white there's not a whole lot of dialogue the cutting is very rapid and a lot of like twisting cameras camera angles and like um topsy-turviness um metal clinking you know the score was meant to sound like it was composed by just hitting metal uh so it's just a lot a lot of noise and out of the gate i'm i'm very intrigued by this movie i'm totally engaged with it and then i slowly my mind starts to wander okay and then i come back too and i'm like wait a minute what's happening and on this this second rewatch the third time i'm seeing this movie I realized that even if I was paying attention, I wouldn't have an answer to the question, Yeah, what is happening? <laughs> so, yeah. so, yeah, interesting movie. <laughs> um, Definitely. I, yeah, I. it has always been there as... It has always had a presence in my, like, sort of film history. Like, For it's sure. not a forgettable movie by any means. Uh, yeah. Even yeah. if I do find my mind wandering, if I find myself getting distracted while watching it. Um, it is certainly, it is one hell of a movie. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, tell what, what what's your history with Tetsuo? Yeah, so I saw this in college. I forget what class, but I remember a teacher playing this, and it was back, this is SFSU. We had a big uh, auditorium where a lot of classes were held and you know, hundreds of kids in there. And watching this movie in like a massive auditorium and watching something so bizarre and bold like this was just a really dreamlike experience because, yeah, it is a very bold and like arresting and uh, very, I don't know, it's very distinct in what it's doing. And it's, yeah, it's just very intense and like metal and like it's very dizzying and can be very disorientating, but um, it's also very gorgeous whenever we get like a close-ups of 
like someone's face or like limbs. Yeah. It's always like the photography just looks incredible. And yeah, it, like moving away from it, like I even mentioned in this last episode that I thought it had sort of a connection to the manga Akira and sort of the like sort of like sort of cyberpunk metal versus man versus metal sort of themes are explored in both. Um, so I looked it up before this episode, and Akira, the manga, came out in 1982. That's when it first started running, and this is from 1989, and both from Japan. So I think there are some similarities, but not like a ton. I, if, I, if you do a Control F on the Wikipedia page, Akira is not going to pop up. So I don't think there's a, a direct connection, but I think there is like a, a for sure cultural similarities of these creators both making like uh, both making media that uh, sort of depict a man becoming this grotesque, gro- sorry, this grotesque abomination of metal and uh, flesh is very, I think, I think it's fascinating that there's two similar things kind of depicting the same thing. Um, I think this movie is incredible and has like an awesome movie monster. I feel like a movie monster that should be way more iconic than it is, even though this movie is held in high regards. I actually think it's really interesting that we're watching this because when I was in Korea this past year, made I uh, became friends with like this bassist. She was really cool and one day I was hanging out with her, and she's like, "Yeah, I'm going to go see Tetsuo at the theater." And I, and I was like, "That's cool that like this movie's being screened in like South Korea, like randomly, like some, there's it has an audience still, which I think is really fascinating." But yeah, while while watching this, this is my second time seeing it. I was like, "Yeah, this is <laughs> entirely new. A lot of this shit is crazy." Definitely remember the drill penis and the fast the fast cutting through the streets of Japan, like as like the chase scenes are just like the camera is just running through the streets in a really, like, rapid pace. I remember that really vividly. Um, but, yeah, a lot of new stuff on this rewatch. A lot of stuff I really enjoyed. Um, but, yeah, this is, a, I feel like, a really great and appropriate way to start this conversation because, yeah, I feel like this is an iconic movie monster in its own way. It's not, like, Godzilla or, you know, mm. something on that level. But I still think that visually it's inc- uh, it's a, a joy to look at the production design of the costume of the iron man once he finally finishes his metamorphosis so to speak it's just it's really glorious and grotesque and ugly but also kind of gorgeous at the same time it's it's, it's a good it's a great movie it's it's short doesn't overstay its welcome and oh, yeah, yeah it's very experimental very radical it's every yeah it's just like every time you watch it you can sort of pick up on something different yeah um yeah it definitely feels like one of those movies where if you're interested in cult cinema you have to watch like it's essential yeah um yeah and i i definitely i so i i didn't know this until this rewatch because i've never had to like i guess actually research the movie to talk yeah. about it but i didn't know that Shinetsukamoto plays the metal fetishist in this movie oh cool cool uh, uh yes yes imdb right in front of my face <laughs> so that makes me so i was i was watching a youtube video i don't i don't recall what it's called unfortunately i, I wish i could plug it but uh if you just search tetsu iron man i'm sure it'll come up but um they talk about uh sort of shinya Tsukamoto's like filmography and he plays he he acts in most of his movies um, which i find really interesting and I was uh, learning a bit a bit about his like background, and he grew up with his father, who had this attitude that like you have to be the best at anything you do. And I think his brother is an athlete, so it was very easy mm-hmm. for him to be the best in whatever he did. Yeah. But Shinya Sukamoto being an artist, there's it's it's subjective. It's hard to say. Like yeah, obviously, yeah. you could tell if someone is like failing, <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah. but uh, you know, it's hard to say if someone's doing 
is the the best artist. There's no such thing. Yeah, um, especially in a, a field where you can be the best but still not get accoladed or recognized for it. Yeah, in in, in your lifetime. <laughs> yeah, like the best market people who the people who are best at marketing themselves as artists aren't necessarily the best artists. Yeah. Um, but yeah, watching that with watching this movie with that in mind, knowing that he plays the meta uh, the metal fetishist who is attacking this uh the character is called man uh, what are they called he's called man but he's a he's a salary man he's a a salary worker um yeah the director is playing a metal fetishist who is attacking a businessman and it, it feels like he is attacking like this sort of um rigid sort of status quo way of finding success within the world yeah yeah uh and he's perverting it He's invading it. He is a virus. <laughs> and like yes, together yeah. they will uh he is going to free that man in a way. Like that man is gonna learn to love this infection. Yeah. And they are going to work together to dominate the earth. Uh it's it's interesting. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Your yeah. future is metal, is yeah. what the the metal fetishist says to him in the like climactic fight towards the yeah. end. Our love can is it our love can dominate the world, the whole fucking world. Yeah, they want to make must make the whole world metal to metal beasts. Um, yeah, I think it's really fascinating that, that you mentioned that because yeah, it, this infection kind of spreads in a really particular way. It's like he wakes up, he has like this blemish on his cheek, and it's like kind of like splurting blood. So that's kind of weird. But then the yeah, blood splurt looks great, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and even earlier in the movie when we have the metal fetish just putting the, the pipe into his leg and there's like maggot like it just it it just looks fantastic. It looks <laughs> it just looks great and it's just like yeah, a lot of the lighting is just like just really alarming and just captures captures you. It's hard to look away from this movie. Uh, but uh, I think it's uh, cool that um we have that sort of infection happening as he's like he's on the way to work. He like sits down at the bus and then he's like next to this woman and then that woman seemingly normal but then reali- revealed that she has like this crazy thing going on with her hand and then it chases him into this alleyway corridor area and yeah they have sort of little conflict there but yeah yeah, yeah he's like on the way to work and then that sort of like springs off so into the so yeah he sits next to this woman at the bus at the subway station or yeah. train station i guess um and she notices a pile of like metal machinery on the ground and she starts investigating it she like gets a pen out to like poke it and we get these close-ups they of i i think it's supposed to be a close-up of the metal that she's looking at and we see the metal fetishist inside it yeah yeah and so this was weird to me because it's like my brain wants to say how did that get here (laughs) like how did that piece of machinery get here but that's me trying to understand the why and the how yeah. Uh, th- I feel like this movie is really good at communicating the what, like what is happening. Um, yeah. Like, I understand. Yeah. I understand that, that the metal fetishist is in this machine. I understand that the metal fetishist is infecting this woman. Uh, I don't understand why the metal fetishist is here. I don't understand how he got into that machine. Yeah. Exactly, and I don't yeah. think the movie is interested in communicating the why and the how. Um, and so it it would be stupid of me to try and engage it in that way, like. I would be, you know, forcing myself to have an unpleasant time if I engaged it in that way. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree. Yeah, I do agree with that. And it, is, it does help that the editing is 
it is very like chaotic in a lot of ways, but it also it's very clear when it's trying to get a point across. And there is like a narrative in inside of this madness. It's very sparse, but there is like a clear. Uh, there is an inciting incident. If you're from if I'm speaking in screenwriting terms, like it sort of centers around this hit and run, which is mentioned in the the synopsis. Where yeah, at the, begin at the beginning we have this metal fetishist doing his thing, d being weird, and then he's he gets hit by a car, and then sort of the narrative switches, and we follow that that salary man throughout the rest of the movie until he sort of c c conflicts with the fetish fetishist at the end. Um, yeah, but throughout the, yeah, there's like a relationship with the woman and it's sort of like we sort of get to, we get more information about their dynamic as the movie sort of progresses, but it is told in a chaotic, really like eclectic way visually. Well, so I, I, I saw some conversations around this movie and people, I think even the Wikipedia says, like it is revealed that uh, the man and the woman hit the metal fetishes with their car. And it's like, no, that's revealed pretty early because, like, we yeah. see the car accident and then we hear the phone call about yes, the yeah. hit and run. And so it's like, it's not like this twist reveal. It's it's pretty, that part is, like, pretty normal storytelling. Yeah. Um, I think it, he, he might just be doubling down on the fact that, okay, the rest of this movie is chaotic and there are lots of shots yeah. of pipes and in, in machinery and so it does it can get kind of like strange where you don't really know what your bearings are so it does help to kind of have the sequence towards the end of the movie where his uh, reiterate yeah his like his transformation is nearly complete and then he has like a dramatic moment where he watches that murder happen again essentially and what is revealed is early on in the movie we have like a tv playing footage of the salary man having sex with his wife or his girlfriend or whatever yeah in the woods and we don't really understand what we're looking at like why yeah, is this yeah. sex scene happening we see this weird like face with like a baby laughing <laughs> like yeah um, <laughs> and what is revealed later in the movie is that after they did the hit and run they tried to bury the metal fetishist or like yeah. at least hide the body in the woods somewhere and then they started like fucking next to where they dumped the body um and so that is the footage that we've been looking at is we are seeing from the eyes of the supposedly deceased metal fetishist as yes, he's watching yeah. uh, his killers have sex fucking um, wild um yeah uh yeah also there's just so many details in this movie we're just mm -hmm. gonna bounce all around it um yeah absolutely. what do you think about like in the beginning we're getting shots of the metal fetishes living space and there's like little the run runners yeah it's like is that jesse <laughs> owens like i was like what's going on <laughs> i have no idea i was gonna ask you the same thing i was like what <laughs> like i it's in my notes what do you make of the images of athletes and runners in the fetishist place i don't know um like maybe just appreciating or maybe uh, maybe that's uh the filmmaker giving sort of an homage to his brother being an athlete maybe that could be interesting that is interesting i had not considered that at all that is very interesting just like just sort of burying that in there maybe i don't know it could be do, a lot of things do we think that the metal fetishist is also fetishizing those runners and athletes uh like why would you cut out an image of an athlete like it, you're, it's this, uh, unless it's like your dream board, it's like something you're trying to attain, I guess. Yeah. I'm not really sure for anything other than admiration. Um, yeah, but yeah, I don't know. There is a connection between that and the climax where there's just a lot of running and a lot of yeah, like the, their little the, rocket shoes. 
Yeah, the rocket shoe. The movie <laughs> emphasizes a lot of just the effect of. So you might have to explain it. It feels like it's stills, like a lot of consecutive still images that are spliced together to make it seem like it's just moving, but it's very stilted. Yeah, it's stop motion with people. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it looks but like they're rushing around. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I think it, it's supposed to be, like, emphasizing, like, the awkwardness of that of that visual. I'm, I'm not sure, yeah. I think you're right. Trying to understand a lot of the why can be futile in that way, but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Well, yeah, but like we said, we're going to be jumping around. Um, and one of the things I wanted to mention is, so during the car crash, during the hit and run, it starts playing this music that is completely different than the rest of the music in the movie. So like I had mentioned before, uh, the director had given the composer the instruction, I want you to compose the score for this movie using only the sound of metal. Um, the composer said, eh, I think maybe he just meant it should sound like it was made by metal. Like, I don't think, like, it's actually hard to just, like, make noises with pieces of metal. Yeah. Um, but during the car accident, we get this scene where it's almost like this romantic music. I don't know if you got that sense. And I want to say that there are like the way the camera is sort of swaying side to side with the image of like the front of this car. There might even be crossfades and stuff, but it almost feels like a dance. Yes. Yeah. To this music. It feels very romantic. And then at towards the end of the movie, when the salary man and the metal fetishist uh, you know, they've been at war with each other. The metal fetishist is, like, infecting the salary man. Salary man, uh, he, he embraces what he's becoming. He, he embraces he's becoming the Iron Man. And eventually, they're kind of embracing each other. We get this shot of them in this sort of weird void where they're upside down. Yeah. And yeah. they're linked at the arm by metal. And that same music is playing again. And so it feels... And at, at that point, it feels like they're they're in love. Yeah. <laughs> like they've they've joined they're merging uh they have both accepted this love of metal and <laughs> this love they of become metal. one they become one large kaiju entity um and their their love will destroy the whole fucking world <laughs> um and so i've i've heard the reading that uh that this movie i, I feel like it's it's an interesting reading i don't know that it's the right reading but I think it's an interesting one that this movie has to do with AIDS hmm. um, okay. and that the union of these two men and how destructive it is uh, has huh. to do with, you know, passing around HIV. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. I wouldn't have made that connection, but yeah, well, I was taking notes. I did sort of make the, yeah, the connection of it. Yeah. The way that it's spreading feels like an STD in a way where yeah. It's, yeah, it's passing from person to person, but then we also have the scene with the drill penis, where it's like, yeah. it's clearly like... We are sexualizing <laughs> this horror. Yeah. Um, but all... then, like, at the same time, we have the woman at the subway, and it's like, she just gets it from investigating a piece of metal on the ground. Mmm, it can be um, a needle thing. Um, yeah, it's like, like I was thinking yeah. it felt like, ah, oh, maybe. I was thinking, initially I was like, this is just a zombie movie with, with metal. <laughs> yeah. Like... Yeah, I don't know. There's definitely, yes, definitely a lot going on under the hood. It's very curious about, yeah, that particular reading of it. Uh, yeah, I might have to rewatch and look at it from that lens. Because, yeah, I didn't think about that at all. 
And so much of like movies that are about, especially cyberpunk movies that are about our relationship with technology often have to do with computers, artificial intelligence, that sort of thing. But this feels like it's just like more industrial machinery rather than, I don't know, anything intelligent. Um, Um, Going uh, really very briefly, going back to the STD thing during the whole like drill penis scene, there's a a part with a line where he literally says, do you want to taste of my sewage pipe? And I think it's interesting that he calls it a sewage pipe sort of alluding to the toxicity of of that sexualness is he saying you want to eat my ass (laughs) i don't know maybe (laughs) like sewage pipe like it gets dirty like that was another (laughs) that was another thing i didn't remember about this movie is that there's like this weird dance and then like he gets sodomized by the woman and like i think it's just a dream sequence (laughs) um but had no memory of that had no memory of the fork scene yeah him like feeding his girlfriend yeah another very excellent use of just sound design is like the Mm -hmm. the metal scraping of the the teeth very very intense and effective um yeah i i want to nerd out about the costume a little bit what do you think about just the design of our iron man and then like the villain and just just the various like physical props that we get are just like just so fun in this yeah i wish i could it makes me wish i could see like production photos in color yeah to know because i don't know the black and white i feel like it's doing a good job to conceal some of the limitations of the budget because this is a my understanding this is a very low budget movie i think it i want to say it took like 18 months to produce or something like that okay um and like over the course of the movie he lost all of his friends (laughs) Uh, (laughs) like like everyone who was like working on the crew by the end of the movie like no one was on the crew anymore it was just like (laughs) the actors were like filling in for like camera costume wardrobe uh, makeup like um the woman who plays the girlfriend like that was her actual apartment that they shot in and they actually had to like destroy like doors and and stuff like that while they were shooting there (laughs) The crew was sleeping there, and like every day, he the director would go back. A new crew member would be missing, and be like, <laughs> they had like quit, um, dropping like flies. But yeah, there's like moments of like looking at this costume where, it, yeah, I it feels like it's just like a big fucking bag <laughs> that he's wearing that has like a bunch of machinery bits tied on it. So like, I I, I wish I could like, yeah, see photos of it to like really examine. You know what was the process like of putting this costume on? definitely um, yeah because the the face there's definitely tons of work that had to be involved to like attach these things prosthetics and stuff to the face yeah and i, I sort of mentioned this being a, a very great unsung movie monster yeah it's not like godzilla where it's so it's held as such a cultural regard that there's just extensive behind the scenes information and documents of like the man in the suit and like what was it like on set and like how like where were like the miniatures like there's tons of behind the scenes footage of Godzilla movies from like the Toho era that's like awesome but for this I'm like I haven't really dived into it but I don't think there would be as much and at least on IMDB there's not like a whole bunch of behind the scenes pictures like there is for other movies like that um but I wanted to I was gonna mention that it's really fascinating that like you sort of imagine, like, a movie robot in your mind, sort of, like, you might think of, like, the Terminator or, like, RoboCop, mm-hmm. where it's, like, sleek. But here, I feel like this is a combination. <laughs> yeah. Fucking mess. <laughs> yeah, I wrote it down as, like, 
the Tetsuo is like a combination of RoboCop and the man inside RoboCop, like what he looks like when he's like completely disfigured. It's like the metal here is like it's clearly mechanical, but like it doesn't have much of a rhyme or reason to it. It's it's kind. Yeah. He looks like the um, was it uh, the Toxic Avenger kind of like it's just like this mess That's, of like yeah, of metal and like pipes going places. Like I was like this. This, this is not practical. It's not like things are working. It's just like a metal abomination. But it's like you can't even call them machinery. Yeah. Because it's like, there's no logic. Yeah. There's no like gears or anything like that. Yeah, but I think that's what adds like to the beauty of it. Because yeah, it makes it feel like a classic movie monster, so to speak, where it's just like, it's just grotesque, but there's like a, I don't know, it's a little a beauty in there. I, I really just think it, it just pops on screen a lot. And also there's an effect that happens when we get our really bonkers uh title screen moment in this movie where like the big tetsuo mm-hmm. screen goes across it's so cool yeah it's like it looks like a nine inch nails video it's, it's like mm-hmm. con- like convulsing and stuff but there's this great effect where like there's like it's like fists or something it's like the suit is like bubbling it's like i don't know how to yeah, describe it's like it. his like it, it feels like he has fists underneath yes, his yeah. like chest and stuff like that that are just jutting out like shooting his I came unplugged, like shooting his like suit out. Yeah. Random direction. Every time that happens, it's just so fucking cool. I'm like, oh yeah, it's like he's, it's like yeah, it's like the, the monster within him is is escaping. The, the metal is getting out, and it looks just, it's just so well done. Yeah, it just looks. Yeah, he's got like pistons coming out of him from odd angles. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's just, it's a good time. And then yeah, by the time we get to the climax, it's just like full on anime mode. They're just like fighting yeah. each other in the streets. And, like, that, when they merge into one entity, like, it looks like a giant dick. Yeah. Right? Yes, yes, it does. Okay. Yeah, it does. It does, <laughs> like, like a, it does very phallic, uh, 100%. Yeah. So it's, yeah, once again, this relationship between machinery <laughs> and sexuality, or metal and sexuality, a man forcefully penetrating himself with a metal rod, and then, uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, then we end up at a giant phallus, yeah. like scooting across the street. <laughs> it's a great visual. Um, also, I wrote the, the climax is absolutely insane. Um, but there was a, a frame where it's basically like a a shot on a white circle, and that was the, the one of the images that does remind me of Akira because that is another iconic image from that manga of like representing the explosion surrounding Tetsuo and all of his energy is like a large circle it's like dome. Yeah. yeah, so there's there's two versions. There's, like, the dome on top of Neo Tokyo. Then there's one that's just, like, a giant, just flat circle on the page. And uh, that shot really stuck out to me when it popped up in the end of the movie. So I do, I do think there's a connection. It may not be as explicit as, like, I want to make a movie about Akira. But, like, it is. it seems like there is a... Definitely, like, they're, they're, cyber, they're cyberpunk siblings, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, I think the... His production company is called something like Kaiju hmm. because like, okay, so yeah, once again, I was watching that video on YouTube and um, he, so Shinya Tsukamoto, he became a, uh, a commercial director because he needed work and he kind of got discouraged with the work of shooting commercials. So he started doing theater and just like inside of a tent and then eventually the tent, he added like a head to it and it became like a monster. 
Uh, so he called it like Kaiju Theater, or Kaiju Production, something like that. No, yeah, no, Kaiju Theaters, distributed by Kaiju Theaters. I'm looking at the Wikipedia right now. Oh, okay. Um, and so like I, he's definitely a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. he's definitely like inter- interested in that stuff. So yeah, I, I I I could totally see him being inspired by like manga and anime. Um, something that immediately comes to mind watching this is Eraserhead. I don't know that he had seen that movie and was inspired by it, but like. They feel like siblings. Yeah, I really want to watch it. I like started to watch it when I was in Korea, but I was like, I kind of want to be stoned for this. <laughs> I want to wait till I can get a little high and then watch this because the first frame of that movie is just like the like the moon or something. And it was oh, the just, moon. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, this, this, and then like a, and then there's like machinery shit. Like, isn't there like a guy like with like uh, levers or something? like Yeah, that? I don't there's know. Like I was like, something? I was like, I'm I'm not prepared. I need to get a little THC in my system to fully enjoy this movie. And that's another movie that, like, I'm pretty sure took forever to produce. Yeah, yeah. Um, both black and white industrial movies. Uh, although Eraserhead, I feel like, is a lot more funny than okay. Tetsuo. Um, and Eraserhead also feels like it, it's much easier to identify what that movie's about, which is just like it's he's it's the emotional experience of either being a new father or worrying about being a new father. Okay. Um, and it is, yeah, versus this, where it's like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a lot. Very complex. Yeah. Very interesting. And it's like, why does the girlfriend turn into a bunch of flowers? Yeah. <laughs> like, that, we, we have to contra- contrast that against people turning into machinery. Yeah, definitely. Like, what is, why? Why are we contrasting those things? What is meant to be expressed through that contrast. I don't know. It's a good, it's a good question. I think that is the, the hallmark of like a truly successful film and a truly successful <laughs> piece of art is that it just sticks with you and it continues to provoke questions. Yeah. And uh, you got to enjoy it. It's a fun time. <laughs> True. Yeah. Come on now. We have a drill penis bursting through a, a table. Because it's like <laughs> it this movie more does... more fun than that. It does feel like... There's a certain quality to it that reminds me of just like straight to video shitty horror movies, yeah, uh, low budget horror movies. But because of the style, the style is so extreme, yes, yeah, that it elevates it way beyond that, way, way, way beyond that, yeah, uh, the commitment to it. Yeah. Um, speaking of just that, um, just speaking of how how style can elevate something, I was reading the Wikipedia page on the movie The Night of the Hunter and how, like, that was a movie that sort of came out in an era where every mainstream black and white movie was doing something very specific. Then you have this movie that shows up and it's just, like, dark and gothic and it's, like, uh, Robert Mitchum hunting down children. Like, this is a Mm -hmm. really, like, strange, surreal, dreamlike movie. And people are like, this is awful. And then 50 years later, they're like, oh, uh, this is absolutely incredible. This filmmaker is ahead of his time. And, yeah, it's, like, really fascinating how, like, style can just completely elevate something and yeah another like black and white movie that is like just because it's black and white doesn't mean it can't be groundbreaking and just entirely just mind-blowing and yeah like what did you make of the black and white here because there's there's moments especially early on where like with the metal fetishists where it feels like because the flesh is black and white and because the metal is black and white there's like yeah. less visual distance between the two that's a good point so it's like like i know where the 
pipe ends and the arm begins. <laughs> but they're very similar. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure. I think, cool. like, I've, I mentioned this when we, I was talking about the films of Akira Kurosawa. Is like, the lighting does a lot of heavy lifting when you're doing, like, black and white photography. And here, like, the introduction, like, not the introduction, the sort of the title card sequence, is just it's breathtaking. Like, it just, it, it looks better than, it's like some of the best looking film you can see. It's like, it just, it, it's just hard to describe. It just looks so fucking gorgeous. And then it's interesting that he's, like, shooting television sets that are playing footage. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like he's even corrupting the medium <laughs> that you're watching. Like, yeah, it's like, it's 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 not enough to see a man get corrupted by technology. We have to see film, celluloid, get corrupted by technology by yeah. filtering the image through a television set. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any final thoughts on Tetsuo the Iron Man? Uh, oh, that hello phone call? Yeah, where the, they the, just the, keep the saying mushy, hello mushy, mushy, mushy. I, don't, I don't know what that's about. So cute. Um, so is cute. it just supposed to highlight like how boring his relationship is? Is it like a sort of subjective interpretation of the monotony of his relationship? Or is yeah. that actually happening? Yeah, I don't know. It, one thing I thought was even crazier is like I was watching this the other day and then I just was skimming through rewatching scenes and I was watching that scene and I didn't even notice the first time he has three cats. <laughs> I was like, yeah. like just so focused on like him like on the phone and the newspaper. I was like, oh yeah, he has like three cats around him. Um, yeah, not sure. And then those cats turn into metal later, which is <laughs> kind of a bummer. Unfortunately. Um, yeah. Uh, no, no final thoughts from me. I think that might be it. I think that's all from me. Cool. What have you, what have you been watching lately? So I've got two things. Um, I recently watched um, the Aqua Teen, the most recent Aqua Teen Hunger Force movie, Aqua Teen Forever Plantasm. It's a good time. I was a big fan of their first movie. I remember seeing that in theaters, and it was a very fun experience. Nothing quite like it. Um, and I, I hold that movie in really high regard. And so this kind of had like a lot to live up to, a lot of hype. Um, the, the trailer was like, it was like okay. I wasn't like completely sold by the trailer, um, but bought the movie and really enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. It kind of like make fun of like consumerism and Amazon and like Jeff Bezos and a lot of uh, comedy shows and TV shows can sort of attack those moguls in particular ways. But I think Aqua Teen does it in a, just a very ridiculous batshit crazy way. It's like cloning involved and the NBA star Sean Kemp <laughs> makes an appearance. Uh, it's just an absolutely insane movie in only ways that Aqua Teen can be insane. And it's, it's just a lot of fun. Had a good time watching that last night. Um, and there's moments in that there's a uh, zombie themes in that. So if you're interested in more zombie stuff, there's a zombie element. And there's also uh, like a nice extended Mad Max parody at the climax of that movie. Okay. So I'm always down for a good Mad Max parody as well. Um, so yeah, that was one thing I watched. And then continuing my run through tough guy movies, I watched a uh, Universal Soldier. Have you seen that? I have not. No. So uh, so yes, yeah, JCVD and Dolph Lundgren pair together as like soldiers resurrected and uh, be <laughs> turned into cyborgs and now they're sort of having like flashbacks to the Vietnam War so now they're having a moment where they're like AI breaking out and realizing they're actually human so it's a cool kind of concept it's a 
it's like a early Roland Emmerich movie. So I think it's like the first Roland Emmerich movie that he did that was like a big budget, like American movie because he's a German filmmaker. Um, and I was going through his filmography and I was like, oh, wow, it's actually kind of weird that Roland Emmerich has like one of the most like American patriotic filmography. Yeah. He has like Independence <laughs> Day, The Patriot, like just at, like, like a White House Down. Like he has a lot of movies that are just like ridiculous, huh. ridiculously patriotic. And I thought that was kind of interesting. I wonder if he's a fascist. <laughs> Maybe he's just like, playing the long con. But yeah, like. Godzilla, um, the second Independence Day, Moonfall, like his filmography is just like strange. It's really interesting. But yeah, Universal Soldier is like the first step into that direction because it, it has the hallmarks of his later work. It's like it's a big movie, big sweeping helicopter shots, grand uh, action scenes, really dumb comedy spliced into the movie where you don't really need it. Um, I'm actually like not quite crazy about Universal Soldier because I feel like it's not as fun as like Bloodsport and Cyborg where those movies are a little bit lower budget, a little bit more like loose with what they're doing. Like I think Jean-Claude Van Damme is great when he's allowed to be more unhinged. But in this, he's just, he's playing a robot. So it's kind of like colder and boring. Yeah. Um, it is, the climax of that movie is awesome because it's uh, Dolph Lundgren versus Jean-Claude Van Damme. And it's a pretty entertaining fight. Um, but yeah, it is kind of weird because it doesn't work as well. It's definitely taking itself a two notches too seriously for it to be a lot of fun. But who knows? They also made like seven more Universal Soldier movies, and apparently, I know they the it, it, it sort of like uh, it turned the corner, and some of them apparently got really good again towards the end. So I'm curious to see like Universal Soldier five or some shit. Um, yeah, that's that's the my review from the trenches of tough guy movies. Um, yeah, Universal Soldier, very perplexing. Could be a lot more fun. Could could be a lot worse. Kind of in a weird middle ground area. Um, but yeah, that's about it. What have you been watching? Um, I finished Severance. Okay. Which I fucking loved. I <laughs> yes. can't wait for yes. season two. I think it is like after like after the the finale, we were just like fuck. Like what fucking what a fucking show. Yeah. <laughs> like like we just. We just like sat there like that's fucked up. Like we didn't, yeah. And then we just like looked at our phones for like a half hour, like reading about the show uh, in silence. Um, but yeah, for anyone listening who doesn't know uh, Severance, it's a it's an Apple TV Plus show. Unfortunately, um, I know no one subscribes to that, but it's about um, these workers who they go they work for this company where they go through this uh, severance procedure where the person on the outside is different than the person who goes to work yeah so the person uh so so let's say you wake up you get dressed for work you go to the office you get on the elevator and then snap uh you're getting off the elevator you just worked a whole eight hour shift that you have no memory of meanwhile the person who worked that shift has no idea what happens on the outside of the office they have their own life and the person on the outside of the office has has their own life. Um, and so, yeah, the show is sort of, you know, like even the people who work at the office don't know what it is they do. Yeah. <laughs> like that is why they have the severance procedure is to like protect the uh, confidentiality of, you know, this company. But like the workers don't even know what it is 
what their work contributes to and like what the value of it is. Uh, so they're just operating in this weird, you know, sort of purgatory space where the person on the outside, if the person on the outside decides to quit, that is basically the end of their life. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it is a very interesting premise. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to mention um, about, cause I brought this up about the, uh, the aesthetic of like the art design and one particular way that they expressed like just the strangeness of the situation is like the innies with their their work is incredibly abstract they're just like putting like squares into like they're just like dragging like yeah, squares into numbers. other squares like numbers into squares <laughs> and it's yeah. sitting there like <laughs> there's like this whole thing of like amongst the, the, the group they're like well we don't quite exactly know like what we're doing but like mm -hmm. there's like you do get rewarded for doing meeting certain certain benchmarks and doing certain things you get yeah. like the what, what 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 was the party like the um the waffle party yeah you get like yeah you get like the waffle party like it's just really really fucking bizarre scene um but yeah yeah everything about the show is just like so well done and just very yeah. cryptic yeah i don't know man it's and it definitely feels like it's hard to know when it's supposed to take place i'm not sure if we already talked about that yeah, if yeah, i mentioned yeah. it yeah because yeah, the art the like, art is not very ambiguous but I didn't ask you what you think about the um, the title sequence. I think it's really oh, it's cool. wonderful. Yeah. I, I I skip it every time, <laughs> but, but but it is wonderful. Like that first time I watched it, I was like, oh, I wonder who did this because I know that the company that did the Game of Thrones title sequence does a lot of title sequences. I think yeah. they did like the Daredevil one and stuff like that. Gotcha. Um, and a lot of those kind of feel samey. It's like a lot of like close ups of something yeah. <laughs> and from like different angles and watching that something change over it's like time. the last of us fungus it's like yeah like i wouldn't be surprised if like the game of thrones people did that one um but, yeah, but this one feels a little different it feel it kind of reminds me of like um i don't know there's like these sort of like trippy youtube instagram artists who will just uh make clone like record footage and then like clone the people in that footage and yeah, yeah. i don't know make these like odd sort of surreal cityscapes very just like cloning people and doing all weird stuff like that it kind of reminded me of that um, yeah I, c I couldn't bear to skip it i was like this is just like it just sets the tone in a really i nice had to way. get to the show i had <laughs> yeah. to know what was gonna happen next gotcha yeah it's, it's great yeah i think i'm, I'm happy you, you enjoyed it um yeah, I feel like once people watch it and get through it, it just it's like so good. It sinks your teeth into you. Like that second to last episode. Like I'm trying not to spoil anything because I want anyone who's listening to this, please watch the show. Yeah. Like it is worth. I I don't know how much Apple TV is. I want to say it's like seven dollars or something like that for a month. Um, well, you'll probably you, get a free trial. Well, um, if you buy a new iPhone, you'll get it for free. So just buy a new iPhone. Don't. And you'll get it. <laughs> yeah. Go buy a Mac. Yeah, that is like if you want an Apple TV, just go out, go to your local Apple store, just walk in, buy an iPhone. It's easy. Get the code, take it back, <laughs> take the phone. Just back. use your extra one thousand dollars and do that. Uh, and that is how I got. Honestly, that is how I got <laughs> Apple TV because I had to buy a phone for work. And like, so they're like, "Yeah, go buy a phone and then just like expense it." So yeah. I did that, and then I got the month or, of Apple TV or whatever. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Like, they need to have a second season of the show. I need it. Please yeah. go watch the show so that I can get a second season of it. Um, it's very, very good. The second to last episode does, like, an incredible job of sustaining the tension. Yeah. And, oh, now I'm, now, now I'm remembering. Yes, there's a, a particular yeah. thing. Yeah, that, that there's, like, a, a cross-cutting thing 
yeah they're cross-cutting there's a like a sort of a time bomb sort of situation where you're just like on edge the whole time yeah it's like it's really good it's, it's a man in a room but somehow yeah. it's it's more intense and exciting than all of game of thrones season eight somehow so fucking good dude and that actor, that actor is a, a, a great time too. He he adds like just the the, the right tone shit, tonal shift, because like yeah, it's yeah. very strange. You're you're sort of with Helly, and you're like yeah, this is really weird. Then um, our character, what is that guy's name? It's not. Uh, it's I want to say John Dylan. No, um, which character are you talking about? Adam Scott, the main character. John Totoro, like his character, oh, his like his energy is really particular and like. Uh, cut off and like I don't know there's, the dynamics between the characters is really fascinating but I, I really appreciate that one actor's name I can't remember it off the top of my head but um, I'm gonna make it sure it is Zach Cherry Zach Cherry yeah he's, he's, that one. he's a great great character actor he's 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 a good time yeah very good yeah that's about it for me okay um what are we watching next week oh yeah next week alright so it's my pick for Man vs. Machine um, I want to go with a movie I have not seen, but I was looking at a list of Man vs. Machine movies, and this one caught my eye. It's called Electric Dreams. Okay. From 1984. Um, and the synopsis is... It takes place in San Francisco, which is exciting. Ooh. An artificially intelligent PC and his human owner find themselves in a romantic rivalry over a woman. <laughs> okay. Oh, there you go. Man vs. Machine. Sweet. Um, it's from the 80s. It seems like a just a wacky 80s rom-com. <laughs> we'll see if it's any good. Yeah, I'm always down for like movies from that era just cuz yeah, like yes, shot on film, the production value is usually really charming and like very tactile. Um yeah, it's like when you want when you watch Rocky 4 and then like a robot shows up, you're it's just it's, Hell a, yeah. it's a it's a great time. <laughs> you ask um, no questions. This is also from the director of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, cool. Uh, Steve Barron. Sweet. Cool. Looking forward to that. All right. Well, this has been episode 114 of Vague Zone. If you'd like to contact us, you can email us, vaguezonepod at gmail.com. If you have questions, comments, concerns, or theme suggestions, let us know. Tweet at us at Twitter, at Vague Zone. Let us know what you're watching. Join the conversation. We're always watching something up there. But yeah, this has been episode 114. I'm one of your hosts, Thomas. And I am Daniel. And thank you for listening. Also, rest in peace to Dave Trugoy from De La Soul. Rest yeah, in peace to the him. homie. Uh, if you are not a fan of De La Soul, uh, fix that right now. Go listen to Oodles of O's and go learn how to kickflip or something. Um, but yeah, thank you for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. Oodles and oodles of O's, you know. You get them from my sister, you get them from my bro. All I is is man and once an embryo. Am I solid gold? I don't cast the glow. Yes, I guess it's reflex, some have no control. I'd rather let a laughter and tally off my dough. Canoeing up the river or out into the hole. You just know me not, so not play the role.